Thanks to our sponsor, Walker Digital, who have stepped in to help the Numbers Game podcast with their social media. Walker Digital are a digital marketing agency covering strategy, content, video, implementation, and education. The team at Walker have spread the word of our clients and love working with businesses doing good things helping them to grow and reach more people so they can scale and get larger. I know personally, the first thing I did when growing our business was to outsource social media, blogs and copywriting because I knew it was something that was not the best use of my time and the team at Walker Digital smashed it. Sometimes you need to walk before you can run. Find out more at their website, wlkr.digital. This podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. The conversations are of a general nature and do not qualify as financial or tax advice. We recommend before you make any financial decisions, you consult a licensed professional. Individuals on the podcast may hold positions in the companies discussed. Welcome to episode 45 of The Numbers Game. I'm Jason and I'm here with Nick and Marty. How are we going today, guys? I'm going fantastic, Jace. I've got my comfy chair that I'm in. I always like a comfy chair when I do the podcast. Good to be back. The government's called the election on May 21, so that's very exciting. And rest assured, we are not going to talk about any of that because that is yeah, really boring stuff. Nick, how are you, my friend? I'm well. My chair's also really good this today. I don't know. It just oh. feels a little bit more comfy today than it does any other week. Mate, talk, Good chair. That's a great chair, but the election, I reckon I reckon I copped an hour of it on TV on the weekend and that was enough. It was when Morrison was on his way to announce the election. There was a report, they had the vehicle, they had the, the they were videoing the vehicle or take, you know, they had um, a helicopter videoing the vehicle. They had uh, an update when he got in the plane. They had an update on where he was in the sky. It was ridiculous. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Is this really what we've come to? Like, who actually gives a shit? Like, really? Do you do you actually care? Does anyone care about who gets voted in anymore? I'm, I'm asking you two. Do you actually care anymore? Are the policies that far apart that you care? I'm thinking of ways how not to vote anyone in at the moment. So I really, I haven't seen anything progressive um, and I don't want them to shit can each other. I just want to see who's going to do what for the future of Australia. That's all I want to know about. That's all they're you doing. Know, I'm, it's a, they're, they're, I'm still so upset about you guys talking about your comfy chairs. To <laughs> well, well Jace, the, this uh, is why you so. might have been wondering, listeners, as to why Nick and I have been so big on our comfy chairs. <laughs> There's been a lot of complaining Jace. by a host that uh, chair isn't quite adequate. What, what, what's, what's going on there, Jace? Oh, mate, I still haven't arranged to get my headphones and microphone back from Greggy, who's just thrown me. So I'm, I'm in a different podcast studio. So I'm all out of I'm all out of whack. But it's fine, guys. Uh, true professional that I am, I'll push through to support you guys in my hosting duties Thank and um, to keep this show on the road. Bugger the election! I deliberately went on holidays to avoid talking about the federal budget that night, and I'm, I'm glad Greggy had to fill on and all the excitement that our elbow and scomo uh, threw down uh, moving on from that though guys what are we talking about on today's episode what have you got nick uh mate for me well i'm i'm actually taking up losing it today and i'm going to talk about well we're going to talk about as a group but me specifically the trouble you can get into by not understanding or not having a good remuneration structure in place for your employees and i'm going to uh talk about uh, move over zuckerberg elon musk is ready to hit the Twitterverse. So I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, Elon's 9% buy-in of Twitter and some interesting numbers around it. Jace, what have you got for us? Well, guys, it's a bit of a sequel to our episode that dropped last Monday on um, asking for a pay rise for employees. We want to look at it from the other side of the token and look at career progression and remuneration policy from the business owner's side of it. Um, And then also I'm going to throw in a bit of something interesting reading the play around our friends at Judo Bank. So... Marty? Fantastic. Let's play. Reading the play this week, interesting facts, articles that caught our eye, even sometimes some books that we're reading. But this week, uh, Nick, we're going to throw to you first. Uh, You've got an interesting story for us from Amazon. What's up? Yeah, well, you may recall a couple of weeks ago, I was quite impressed that uh, a taxi driver dropped off my Apple TV that I bought from Amazon. I believe I bought it the night before and I think it rocked up at about two or three o'clock the next day. So it's impressive. It is impressive, but apparently not so. Um, Reading the article that I read this morning, which was uh, Amazon have committed to same day delivery in Melbourne and Sydney moving forward um, as long as you you order online by 11 a.m. So it just, it just, 
made me think, okay, well, if I can, if I can get online prior to 11 and purchase the good that I would like to purchase, and it's going to get there the same day, what, is, what impact does that have on retail? And I, I know online shopping has a massive impact on retail, but we all know that, and we all know that. But I started to think about myself. You brought up last week that I, that I generally don't buy online, and the main reason is because I've got an odd bod and nothing ever fits me. However, goods like Apple TV, I'm definitely going to buy online. So the only reason I think I would go retail was a speed thing. If I needed something quick, I would rather probably get in the car, go down and grab it myself. Now, I know that if I can get it within the same day from Amazon, that, that eliminates the need, that, that need for me now to jump in the car and go to a retail shop. So is retail actually dead or are people, I get there's an experience and people might want to go for the experience. I get the clothing issue that, you know, people like myself have that things generally don't fit or there's, you know, they like to try things on. But it made me think about the, you know, what are the flow on effects? Retail, we already know about. Industrial property is a massive one. And you've seen the uplift in the price of industrial property. Um, last mile delivery is uh, well. Last mile delivery properties have gone through the roof, and last mile delivery is part of the the process. What's the? It's it's the last piece of the puzzle into getting an online good delivered. So, you've got the the truck drops the product off, and then once it gets to that, um, uh, what what do you call them? Um, sorting center. Yep. From there, last mile delivery um, kicks off. So that's they sort through it, it goes in a courier truck, and then it gets delivered to the end consumer. So those last mile delivery properties have gone through the roof, and generally they want them near freeways because that makes sense because then it's easy to go um, and get them to people's house. Um, Amazon are currently building um, a sorting centre in Craigieburn, which is the fifth sorting centre uh, that they've built in or, or they have in, um, in Melbourne. This place is the size of the MCG. So... The sorting centre is the same, same size as the MCG Oval. Um, 700 construction jobs are going to be uh, created. And then once it's built, 200 local jobs ongoing out in Craigieburn for the sorting. So it's just, it just made me think about how different things are now. And we, we talk about you know online shopping, distribution centres, warehousing, but that just made me think, wow, it is a completely different ball game now. And why how does retail exist how how do how does chadson shopping center exist like that's such a big building there's and i get the experience part but are people really going to continue to go for experience the shopping centers need to start looking at other things uh, activities for kids and you know centering thing uh, centering their their pitch around those things it's yeah i don't know it's all stuff we talk about but it just made me realize that if i can get something on the same day I'm not going to the shops anymore, that's for sure. Well, I can't stand shopping. I'll go twice a year and buy all my clothes that I need for that year um, or half year, and that's um, yeah, anything to keep me out of retail. But you, I think you hit the nail on the head, uh, Nick, in regards to I feel retail and these shopping centres will absolutely have to reinvent themselves. They've only got one or two options. They have to create this great experience when people come and shop. And I don't know what that looks like, whether there's entertainment value or there's services that are unique that we all need, but they have to either do that or they have to start distributing and using their you know, shopping centres the same as Amazon are as distribution channels and just getting you know, items to people quicker. So, I, But for me, I love it because because I don't want to go shopping and, um, you know, some people love going shopping. But if I can get things on that day, I'd be the absolute same. I would not, uh, I would not walk into a shopping centre. Jace, what about yourself? Yeah, well, Nick, uh, getting your order in before 11am shouldn't be a problem when you don't have to worry about making breakfast. So um, sure. I've thought that's a bloody absolute winner for you, mate. <laughs> um, I love it. I think, look, last couple of days, like end of last week, I was in the office going, oh, we need some more keyboards. I need to buy this and that. Somebody else rocked up and I needed a keyboard. So we ordered a keyboard that arrived within an hour or two because JB Hi-Fi was just down the road. Like it's, as you said, I didn't, I haven't gone into a physical store when I've needed something like technology-wise for quite some time. It's definitely been all online orders and 
Uh, this episode comes out after my brother's birthday, so I even ordered his birthday present um, set of headphones, actually, probably similar to these, uh, delivered to him uh, for his birthday. Again, didn't go into the store. I'm not wrapping it, stuff him. He can just get it delivered to his door. And, and happy birthday, Simon, if you're listening. I hope you enjoyed your headphones. Um, you know, yeah, so look, I, I worry as well. Like you look at um, – you know, you look back over 10, 20, 30, 40 years of things that don't exist anymore and in changing times and technology advancements and, you know, is retail another one of these things that we'll be looking at another 10, 20 years from now and, and retail bricks and mortar stores just don't exist the way that they used to. And even if they do, right, maybe instead of having the stock on the floor there, it's something that you can look at and go, yeah, I want that one. And it gets shipped to your door that day rather than carrying all the stock in there. I don't know. I think it's going to look different. I think there's some changes. Well, well I think I think you got to make it like the you know why people are going to cafes to get their coffee. It's an experience, right? You make coffee mm. at home, like I've discovered. But it's <laughs> but it's like I, I would ask you, Jace, like you've got a lovely little Ralph Lauren uh, polo there um, shirt. So you you do like brands, but does it matter to you actually buying it all online, or do you like to have the experience in store where you can try the clothes on? Because I haven't done that for a fair while. I used to buy Jag. To, to be honest, this is the reason I probably bought three or four of the Ralph Lauren shirts at the same time, a bit like you doing it once or twice yep. a year. And I'd just never come across the size and shape and cut that I wanted. Saw a bunch of them, bought them all in one go. What was that, two years ago at the Australian Open or however long ago we started this podcast or a year ago and haven't bought it. Maybe I bought one more since. Um, I don't know. Like So, yeah, it's it's – the experience, I guess, it's more about convenience, like experience over yep. convenience or convenience over experience. And look, there's different people with different um, different things that will satisfy them. Um, so, yeah, for those people that want the experience, maybe it is these fancy shopping centres once a month, once every three months, I don't know. But you've got to keep the volume of traffic coming through. So I think there's some challenges ahead. Yeah, they'll have to repurpose. They'll have to repurpose the whole shopping experience, I feel. So it'd be interesting to see. It's an opportunity. They'll have to come up with something. Great, great topic, uh, Nick. Jace, what have you got for us? Judo. Judo Bank, tell us more. Judo. What's going on? Guys, uh, just like to like highlight opportunities potentially for, for ourselves, for our listeners, and interest in your thoughts. I think you guys would have a little bit to do with Judo, so maybe you got some inside thoughts on this. But let me give you a bit of background for listeners out there that may not be familiar with Judo. So Judo Bank is a neo bank. Um, they basically want to take on the big guys, the big four, and, and the top end of town when it comes to business lending. And they're determined to win by showing that relationship is still at the heart of banking in an increasingly digital world. Now, again, off the back of our retail conversation about experience, um, they're banking, excuse my word, my pun there, they're banking on the relationship being super important. So they've gone all in on getting the best of the best business bankers over to Judo to start to grow this business. Um Judo wants to go from having 1% market share to 4% of market share in business lending over the next four to five years. And SME credit growth in you know the volume of people getting loans and lending is growing at the fastest rate since the GFC. Now, there was a Judo banker, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, Joseph Healy. He said that, yeah, Judo's gone out and they've just paid a bomb to recruit the best of the best business banking team. And the, the plan is to grow the book from $5 billion to $20 billion over the next coming years. Now, fund managers and analysts are optimistic about Judo's outlook. However, the market doesn't seem to be overly pumped about it. So Judo hit the ASX back in November. Uh, they listed at $2.24 at IPO. And since then have slumped 28% uh, to today. I think when you know I was doing my show notes, uh, it was around $1.64. Uh, March quarter, they, they did $435 million in loans, which grew their book to $5.34 billion. Their 30 June target was $6 billion. So to hit their target, they've got to write another $650 million in loans this quarter. Um, some are doubtful, but Judo has $1.1 billion in the pipeline. So there's a chance. Um, some of the issues that, in, that you know, analysts have kind of listed as to why people have a problem with the share price is around soaring inflation. Um, supply chain difficulties and a bit of a macro bust that they're expecting in in business land and, and credit lending overall with the rising interest rates. Um, wage inflation is a drag as well. Um, you know, the, the idea of all these wages need to go up and 
you know, even for judo to grow, they need to re- attract and retain talent. So they're finding they're having to pay 15 to 20% above market to lure bankers out of the big four and over to judo. So judo is not a tech company, um, even though some people kind of refer to these neobanks as tech companies. Um, they floated at a 1.9 times multiple of their loan book to business valuation. And now they're trading at 1.4 times their loan book. So people, analysts are calling it outrageously cheap and saying in the coming years, the stock, will, the stock will get up to $4 based on their, you know, their research and trends and, and analysis of it. Um, so I look at that as an opportunity. Um, I don't deal with judo too much, but I'm starting to see it pop up more and more in my business clients books and figures, there's more loans and more things that are being done with judo rather than a NAB or an ANZ or whatnot. Um, so interested in your take, guys. Uh, judo Bank, what are, what are our thoughts? Firstly, on the positive, I think they've got it right, attracting really good talent. I think there's no doubt about it. I've met a lot of the bankers and they're very proficient and the bank itself is user-friendly. So they understand. It's good old-fashioned business banking like they see the need they provide the solution um, they still operate under like an old model of business banking it's just outside of the square of the major four so really good solutions i think the danger for judo is that they don't get caught in the middle uh, where they're utilizing an older model style given what's happening in tech that's the only thing if i'm gonna if i'm gonna judge it I go, they could end up in no man's land. So they really want to – I love the idea of getting all the great talent, but they still have to be dynamic on tech as well. And even like some of the – some of the policies where you have to review financials every year for a commercial lender. There's a lot of the major banks even coming out now where some of those facilities don't need to be reviewed. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, they're removing the restrictions for business owners to be able to lend more aggressively and more sharply with less documentation and more logical. So they just got to, I love what they're doing. I love the people they're attracting but I just feel like I wouldn't want them to fall into no man's land because they're very relevant now, but, you know, what's it going to look like in three years? And I figure they'd be thinking, well, as long as we get great people and we're building our database, we'll grow with the tech as, as it you know, as it comes available to us. But that's the only thing that I would on my thought process. Nick, what about yourself? Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I, I sort of think they'll be okay though because I see – the one thing judo has done, which is the opposite to what all the other majors have done, so they've realised what the majors are doing and they've gone the other way, and that is giving power back to the banker uh, to make decisions on credit Absolutely. or loans. So, you know, if you went to a major bank these days, um, you know, you'll never talk to the decision maker, never, ever, It'd, you know. So there's so many different layers. So the, the, the thing that worries me about judo is can they – can they maintain that nimbleness as they grow? Um, will there be different layers that start to creep in as, the, as they become a bigger business? That's my first concern. I'm not so much concerned about the tech stuff, Marty. Like I, I, think, I think it's a different clientele. I think where the tech-savvy lenders are coming in, I think it's that really small, quick, quick cash. Um, I need a quick 100K overdraft. I want to do a fit-out. I think Judo will plug that gap of the bigger business, the strategy, you, you, I can't see tech coming in at that three or four million million dollar exposure. For example, yeah, um, I'm I think they've got runway. They've got yeah, yeah they've they've got runway. And you make a great point of dealing with the decision maker in business is super critical um, to getting great outcomes. Mm. So I feel like they've really got that right. That's that's great strategy. Yeah, and look, no doubt there's an overarching credit policy that they need to tick off and that there are probably some deals that need to go to a higher authority but I you know we you know we actually do bank with judo we do have debt with judo so we've experienced it firsthand and it is poles apart from what we've experienced with our prior lender which was one of the big not one of the big four um, but someone just as big so uh, there I, I think not, not this is stock advice but I think they're just going to continue to dominate because there's a gap a massive gap in that SME market uh, that they just they just they can dominate it over the next couple of years. I think. Is it a buy? 
I think it's a buy. I can't give it share advice, mate. So, Jason. I'll have a dabble. I'll have a dabble. I knew Jace would. I knew he'd have a little dabble. Case, if you're listening and I haven't told you that I bought judo shares, I bought judo shares. So just just in case you're listening. <laughs> what, do you, what do you use to buy it? Do you stake or self-wealth, Jace? What's, what's your no, platform of choice? A, just an ANZ E-Trade portfolio. Oh, the old E-Trade. I'm just one of those guys that just I, – I have I had ANZ for like 20 years. I've had the yeah. same bank account. Yeah. So it was just connected and – Tap a few buttons and away we go. Good so stuff, good stuff. I bought bought my first Hills Hoist shares uh, back in university. Wasn't that a ripping buy? <laughs> That'd still be compounding, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, maybe we'll save that for a losing it for another day. Uh, let's save Plastic. this. And uh, what is going on with Zuckerberg? I'll oh, move over Zuckerberg, I should uh, say, Marty. Who's, look, I who's was, pushing him out of the way? I was bullish on the metaverse last week. I was going off about that a few episodes ago. But Elon Musk is in the Twitterverse at a fraction of the cost. And it was a really interesting read. Like when uh, Elon Musk buys a 9% stake in Twitter, it grabs attention all over the world. And the the positioning was like he was buying into uh, freedom of speech, you know, maintaining freedom of speech. But Elon's too clever for that. There had to be some numbers behind it that made sense. So he purchased 70 million uh, shares, spent about 2.6 bill to get in, so to buy 9% of the company. Uh, he's earned a place on the board, so if ever you want to be invited onto a board, just uh, drop 2.6 bill and, you know, you'll get a seat at the table. And I could just I, imagine I, I those discussions. I have a board discussions. position available. If imagine. anyone's listening, I have a board position available. So. <laughs> yeah. Imagine that board uh, meeting, you know, we need to ensure milk is in the fridge. Just just execute that guy, <laughs> would you? Just Elon's in there now. So, But Twitter stock went from $38 a share to $50, and there's the are sitting at about $46. Uh, Elon has over 80 million Twitter followers. And this is how I started joining the dots. Uh, Tesla famously does not spend any money on marketing. It doesn't have a PR department. Uh, He uses Twitter to influence markets, do product launches, and he elevates other people's accounts in Twitter, which creates great loyalty back to him. So it's um, he's basically uses his Twitter account to replace entire standard corporate functions which is so smart. And he's got in on a fraction of, of a price. And look, when you when you level it out, you look at Metaverse, they're doing $33 billion in revenue with a $10.2 billion profit. Twitter's at $1.57 billion revenue, $181 million profit. But he's got Tesla. That's where he's looking to generate his revenue. So he's basically using this platform to really secure Tesla's position in the market from a marketing strategy where he's going to make his billions. And I just thought... What a smart, brilliant concept! And we've got to get our LinkedIn numbers up, boys. We're going to get, uh, yeah, we're going to get it up to the millions so we can uh, get that same traction. But I just thought it was very, very clever. Um, good use of funds in order to get to where he wants to get to, uh, given the way he uses the platform. And once he, once he actually backs an account. Like he's always got those influences coming back to him because he really he really accelerates their businesses as well. So not that the uh, regulatory bodies are all that happy about that because of his influence in the market, but I thought very clever, lads, very clever. Thoughts? Yeah, well, I think it's uh, super clever. I mean, you've got Nick Riley quoting Elon Musk tweets and Nick's not even on Twitter, so there, <laughs> there must be some kind of magic to uh, – all of Elon's uh, tweets and, and what he's got, what he's got planned, and yeah, reading a book called Power Play at the moment, which is or it's Power Play: The Bet of the Century, and it's around Elon Musk's journey and investment in Tesla. Which I didn't actually know that somebody else started Tesla in two thousand and three, and Elon was just a big invest, the first investor they got on board. So it's I actually thought that he was the mastermind behind Tesla Motors, um, but no, he's just uh, that. made the bet, the bet of the century that it would be. The future, the way of the future. So anyway, more on that when I bring that into the another reading the play. Yeah, well, 80, 86% of Twitter's revenue is all through advertising. So mm. so it's um, 
it's surprisingly high. Same, same as Facebook, they're very high as well. But what a great vehicle. To, he basically has a social newspaper to dominate for the future. Well, I think as well after Jack Dorsey stepped aside, um, the, the original founder of Twitter, he stepped aside, put the CTO in um, to run the show. Uh, I think potentially Elon sees it as as quite an un... Not a blank canvas, but there's a bit you can do with it. Like Twitter was invented, you could do a limited number of, you know, was it 140 characters? And that was it. You just do tweets and somehow all the celebrities got onto it and everyone, you know, it's still just kind of, it's still there, right? And they yeah. put no effort into it. That's there's right. No development, no major shakeup. Massive upside. And if you're, ever, if you're ever going to be able to start a new social media platform that can go against Instagram and Facebook and whatever else and WhatsApp, what better way to do it than to start with a the the start with something that's already built like a Twitter, get into it at quite a cheap buy-in price given it's already revenue, cash flow positive, it's making profits, it's got a shitload of users, and then go, okay, guys, I'm Elon Musk. My brain works in a very different way. Here's the future. This is what we're doing next. And you got proof so of concept uh, with uh, Meta. You look at those revenues and you go, so even if he hits half of that, He's uh, he's yeah. bought in very very well. I feel. I think there's I think there's a bit of, uh, not I don't know the word, but just Facebook. I feel like people have gone a bit off it. They feel a bit uh, by Facebook, and may, maybe Twitter is a an easier um, easier to digest feed for for some business news or something. Like you know what I mean. So I think there's scope. I think it's great, uh, and I'm interested to see what he does with it. And um, yeah, watch that space, Nick. Oh. Uh, he just keeps making big moves. Every time he, he makes a move, I'm interested. But um, what caught my attention was no no PR um, within yeah. within Tesla, and I, I didn't I didn't know that. I also didn't know that he wasn't the original founder. So there you go. We learn something new every day. Watch this space. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email. Hello at the numbersgamepodcast.com.au. All right, it's that special time of the podcast, Losing It, which is one of my favourite segments where we learn from the mistakes of ourselves and others and uh, we hopefully learn lessons on that so other people don't have to make those same mistakes. And today, uh, Nick, you are taking charge of Losing It. What have you got for us today? I am. I feel like it's been a while since I lost it. I don't know. So I'm excited to be uh, leading the charge here again. But we spoke last week around pay rises for employees and, you know, ways that employees could um, approach their employers for a pay rise. And um, today's episode, we, we, we're going to dive into that from the other side of the fence. So as a business, why is it so important that you provide um, career progression for, for your staff? So for us, I, I was happy to share, I guess, the catalyst um, for us going and looking at the way that we reviewed our staff's, re- re- well, not just remuneration, but um, progression within our business and the, and the roles in our business and, and what, what was our own personal experience. So we had a particular, particular employee at the time um, who was disgruntled with what they were being paid. And you know, just to lay some foundations here, we, we were a small business that's, that's moved into a medium-sized business. So like all small business people out there, we understood uh, what we needed to do to keep the doors open. There was certain things that you don't think about. And a lot of the times um, you're reactive to things like offering pay rises. So, you know, for us, um, everything that we do now is because we've made a mistake in the past and we've learnt and this and, and this was one of them. So a small business didn't really have many structures in place as to, um, you know, demonstrate to our staff where their career could go after year one, two, three, four, five within our business. So we had a disgruntled uh, employee who thought they were worth more money. Um, we were not aware of that. We were hearing that from other people in our business. And I guess what we did is tried to fix the problem quickly and did what we thought we what we thought that person would want. So, you know, that 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 was a different title, which which was I guess a leadership title and some more money um what what happened is that wasn't really what that person wanted for, for two reasons they didn't necessarily want the role and the the pay rise that was given was nowhere near what they expected 
So, you know, we didn't really ask the questions, okay, what are you expecting to earn and what is, what is it you want to do with your career? So we assumed leadership. We assumed, okay, this is the salary and then you could maybe go to this after a year. It wasn't the right move. Um, that person you know, and, and ended up leaving our business, which was fine. It was all amicable. They went on to do what, they, what, what they're doing now. No issues. But it taught us a lot around, you know, what are we doing to communicate with our employees all the time? Have open lines of communication. And it's not, it's not enough to, to annually sit down with your staff and say, oh, well, look, we're going to give you a pay rise of this. Because what generally happens then is it doesn't happen. You need a specific structure in your business that allows um, for uh, not just remuneration, it sets KPIs. It sets what you expect um, from a competency point of view from your staff. You show your staff how they can grow in your business if they hit, if they hit those different levels of um, competency. So it just taught us a lot to, number one, make sure there's a structure in place so it's not something that just gets forgotten. Number two, don't assume that you know what people want. And number three, you have to be the one that's providing your staff um, with the progression from day one so they understand what it is in your business from day one. And it's almost like they're signing an agreement when they come into your business. Okay, I can see where I can go in this business. And that's as long as I do one, two, three, I can get here. So it was a losing it for us, but in all honesty, it was probably the best thing that happened to us as far as uh, moving forward and having a better system in place. And we're going to talk about those systems a bit more today and what, what they could look like. And um, yeah, so I don't know, Jace, you also run a business. You've probably had similar things where you're, you're a bit reactive and you're assuming what people want. Um, but yeah, I thought it was, um, it was important to share it because I'm sure every business owner is probably experiencing the same, um, the same situations where people are coming to them for pay rises. Yeah, 100%, Nico. And structure, structure and, and having it all mapped out, how it works is super important. We very early on would say, yeah, we do annual pay reviews and it was part of our speech to, you know, lure someone across and join a young, fast growth, exciting accounting firm where, you know, it was risky, right? Like what we were doing in the early days when it was a team of three, four, five, six, we were growing beyond what we could handle and saying, yeah, cool, we'll do an annual review. But it wasn't specific, right? Like that person started in September, got to the following June, we missed pay reviews for the annual June, got to September, they were like, hey, it's September, I want my annual review. It's like, oh, well, we do annual reviews in June. They're like, well, June's been and gone, buddy, and we didn't sit down and have a chat. So completely agree. Like structure is so important, having something in place so that it's not forgotten because, again, as a busy business owner and life, you know, the crazy things that go on in life, if it's not locked in your calendar and not something that that is just so structured and whether it's the quarterly reviews for performance and annual pay reviews, these things need to be locked and loaded because otherwise the calendar will fill up and you'll fill it with something else and you'll move on. Yeah, such a good point. I remember making that pivotal mistake early on in business where someone was 70% a target and I thought they should have been obviously at 100 but also I hadn't developed my own leadership qualities um, to to come to that conversation proactively. So you'd have friction points where, you know, the employees upset because they think they should be getting more. I'm upset because they I feel like they're not doing what they should be doing. And then obviously it can blow up, which it did. But the great thing about that blow up, even at a small business level, was then we sat down and were purely transparent, setting personal goals. And then I set my expectations of what I thought the person could achieve. And I remember saying this direct line, I'm going, why do I think you're this level of performer, but you're, you're doing this? Like, what am I missing here? Because obviously I'm missing something as a leader when I think so highly of this person and I feel like they can achieve a great result, but they're not achieving it. So that was really my development as a leader to ascertain, 
okay, what are their drivers, like Nick was talking about in the previous episode, what are their personal goals, and linking those personal goals into performance. So I think for small business owners, that's how it starts, and you get some clear parameters that everyone has transparency around, that they there's, there's an operating system there, even at a smaller level, small business level. Now, as we get into a bigger business like Innovate, then that has to be, and we'll go into this in the 1% as much more structured, we get external support on it so there's real clarity across the wider wider group but even as a small business owner you know sit down with your team get some clear parameters of where you think they are where they want to go where you can help them develop and then you know you're all on the same page at the moment and then there's no friction points so it's a really good thing you bring up Nick because I think a lot of small business owners would be going through that. I love I love three words you said there, Marty, and I think this this just really summarises it all and puts a bow around it, but the transparency reduces friction and gives clarity, and that, that yeah. just summarises everything it does for our business, and I'm, I'm excited to talk about it because particularly that word friction, um, it just reduces the, it almost eliminates the friction to a degree. Yeah. You know, there still might be some robust conversations, but Transparency, friction, clarity, it's, it's the best way to summarise it. So good stuff. Into the one percenters, boys, where we are here to increase transparency, reduce friction, and I've lost the clarity, third one because I got too excited about trying and give you clarity. TFC. There you go. What would I do without you, boys? TF, was it TFC? There you go. I like it. TFC. Um, mate, Nick, you are on fire. I might as well throw to you. Uh, you're smiling. You're up and about. Um, talk to us about what has happened at Innovate and unpack for us the things that you guys do to have a, I guess you've got a policy, you've, you've done it, you've, you've been there, you've gone from the losing it where you didn't have a policy and it created friction to now having a remuneration policy and some set ways to work out what career progression looks like at Innovate. Do you mind unpacking how that came about and what it looks yeah, like? Yeah, not a problem, mate. So it obviously came about from the losing it story and a um, couple other stories that were similar. Um, you know, we are fortunate enough to have a HR group uh, that we engage on an ongoing basis. So they, they do help us with a lot of this stuff. Um, and it is a lot of work. So, you know, you need to, I guess what I'm about to to explain, there was a, there was a lot of work that, that went behind it, that, but it was, it was so beneficial. So, so for us, and I think I've spoken about this in the past briefly, but we have a clear... Um, I guess, set of parameters for each role in our business. So, you know, if I'm going to talk about a mortgage broker role, which you know, we have quite a few mortgage brokers in our office, but there's different levels of mortgage broker. So mortgage broker one, two, three, generally based on experience. From there, there's different salary bands within each of those um, mortgage broker levels. So mortgage broker one, two, three, um, obviously one starts at a lower salary and three would go up. And this is the same for every role in our business. Then for each of those salary bands, there's an agreed set of competencies that that, that individual needs to demonstrate um, to be within that salary band. Once you move up, there's more competencies that you need to demonstrate, and then you will move up to that next salary band. All of this is documented. So when, when a staff member comes into our business or employee starts at our business, they see all of that. They see the role. They see the different competencies for each level. They see the different salaries for each level and they know where they fit within those salary bands and competencies. And then they see how they can progress through those. From there, uh, there is quarterly reviews uh, where we go through their KPIs um, and their KPIs will be collated over the 12 months and that will then, that will then um, I guess, be one of the one 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 of the factors that will determine what their salary is in the next year forward. Annually, we review their salaries, and the salary review is basically a competency review. It's not so much a salary review because that's already there. They know what the salaries is, or what the salary is, but what are the where are your competency levels at the moment? Um, and then from there, we have a development plan for each staff member. So depending on where you sit from a competency point of view. What do you need to do to get to that next level and how can we help you? And that may be um, with internal training. It could be with external training or education. So that 
that is documented for every single role in our business. Um, we have managers that uh, that obviously take care of the quarterly uh, KPI meetings, and managers that then will take care of the annual reviews. And it's just a really simple process. So I mentioned before the friction. It takes the friction out because when someone in two years' time is not happy with their salary, you can revert back to the initial agreement when they came on board. Okay, this is how you get to that next level. You need to demonstrate those competencies. So what happens though is you, is you never get there. You, you, you never get to a point where you've got someone disgruntled in two years and you're finding out that they are because you're having consistent you've got a consistent feedback loop um, via the quarterly reviews and then the annual reviews. So you never get to a point where you're reactive trying to give someone a pay rise because you're consistently talking about it. So it's been really good for our business. Um, you know, Marty can probably unpack this a little bit more because he is a direct manager. He has people underneath him. He holds these reviews um, quarterly and annually. But I would encourage any business owner, you don't have to go as deep as we do. You can make it a lot simpler. Um, but document it, have a system in place. And yeah, Marty, maybe you could talk to how it's, how it's helped you manage your staff. Yeah, I think it's been fantastic, a real game changer for the business. And like you said, not only it reduces friction points, but it allows for accelerated uh, development of the individual based upon getting to the next level. So even within the level, you can go up percentage levels in income, which is which is great. So you always, as an employee, feel like you're progressing, but also as a, as a direct manager, you feel like you're having a real impact in getting those competencies up to standard. So it feels much more dynamic, and then there's a clear pathway through for the individual. So they know exactly where they stand. So you're not having these discussions during the year going, oh, geez, I should sit down with someone and potentially talk about their income, or they're thinking that about, you know, talking to you about it. It's all mapped out, and you're working together to to achieve it. And what I love about it, in a lot of corporations, people sort of outgrow their position and become stale. And I feel like, and obviously I'm coming from a bias here being an innovator, but I feel like us growing as a, as a company and continuing to grow, then we're creating new opportunities. Like Nick says, we had five roles that just didn't exist a couple of years ago. But because of the aggression in the development of the group, there's always going to be opportunity moving forward. So we should never see a circumstance where a person gets stuck based on great performance. And in a lot of the corporate world, you can get capped out or the next jump is just too high. So I feel like we're growing, our people are growing, and there's also clarity around what the expectation is. And and we, we do that. Yes, there's results, obviously, settlement results. There's quality assurance um, importance. There's customer engagement and delivery and also teamwork as well. Are our people living our values? Now, they're all graded at 25% each. So we're not weighting it towards a particular thing. We want them to be holistic, great performers across the board. And the opportunity that presents if there is a weakness or a gap, we're directly monitoring it. And it's amazing. It might be one thing. It might be they're a gun salesperson, but their internal communication is not great. We can address that and create a strategy around it and test it, you know, and then you generally see that 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 one thing is the tree in the forest that knocks down the forest and they get another 30% of growth out of themselves and they're delighted with that. So it's like, and then obviously they get rewarded based on the structure. So it gives me a real a template and structure to work within to get the best of the people, I uh, guess to get the best out of the people within that structure, but also to keep advancing them, which in turn advances the business and it just has a positive sustainability effect across the board and it means you can have a, a challenging conversation as well when need be um, in order to get improvement out of someone as well so I hope I've uh, explained that as well as I could there Nick yeah that was great <laughs> boys both of you have done a brilliant job and I don't know if it's just my accounting brain or if you guys will agree but all I'm hearing is the ability to do some great budgets and forecasts because you know your costs you know your salary bands, you know that if you're going to grow at X percent per year, you're going to need 
two more mortgage number twos and another customer service one and you can plug in all of their costs in an expected salary band because you know the you know what you're going to be paying for those roles and what do you know beautiful budgets and forecasts because you're a growing business that knows how to lock in its costs and lock in you know, those expected budgets and forecasts, and those sales that you're going to be achieving. So I think it's fantastic, um, a fantastic thing to do. And one thing is, you know, if you focus on growing your business and then you focus on growing your profits, at the same time, you need to focus on growing your people because it's all going to be interlinked together. And when you grow your people and then they command a higher pay, you actually want your employees to be stepping up and and hitting those next salary bands. Because if they're doing that, it means that you've got a successful, thriving business. And I think that's really exciting for business owners out there to to rethink the way that you, you're doing your annual reviews or no pay reviews at all. And don't don't come at it from a, almost a negative sense of, oh, you know, I'm going to have to be forking out more money for people and not necessarily any more money going in the business owner's pocket. It's the wrong way to think about it. The The way I look at it is, the more your people are prospering because they're progressing, their training and development's going great, they're hitting their KPIs, it is going to have a direct correlation to the top line and bottom line of your business. Great so point. So you should want that for your people. Great point. It's like being worried about paying tax because you're making too much money. Yeah. It's oh. it's it's the same oh. thing. You're excited about people developing and earning more money, you know, contributing to the business as the business expands. It's um, You bring up a sensational point there and I, I feel yeah, very connected. And I feel like also the nimbleness of it is really good because you're having these conversations, re- even in, within the month, you're going, you know, how are you going? You're checking in. Are you working on this? So there seems to be a real great dynamic about it where it's always in real time. We're progressing individually as a business, as a division. Um, and that's exciting. That's really you know, what gets me out of bed in the morning is knowing that we're constantly evolving and it feels like we're in momentum the whole time with individuals and within the business. We all know the cost of rehiring. So all this is doing, this is an investment in your business and your people, not just an investment from a time point of view, but obviously a money point of view if you're paying more. But just think about the cost of rehiring, particularly in this market. You know, you've got recruiters that are charging 19% to 20% or anywhere from 15 to 20%. You've got the downtime as far as having to go through the process of recruiting, losing IP. If it's a salesperson, someone coming in starting from scratch, losing maybe three to six months of sales. We've spoken about this in the past, but from a pure, pure cost perspective, it's actually cheaper to, to, to retain people, even if it means you're paying them a little bit more than, than go and try and find someone else. And had the same issue in yep. twelve months' time because you still haven't you still haven't fixed the original issue or the core of the problem, which is you know structures in your business so people can grow. And I, I love the fact too within that framework, you really get to know people on a different level personally. Um, like I had a situation where you know there was there was a, a well there was a broker that was doing great work for his family and was very giving to to his family, which is tremendous. You know, great great value, great attribute. But I said, what are you giving back to yourself? You know, you're hitting you're hitting career best performance, and he went out and um, bought himself a pair of Doc Martens. You know, just as a you know, just as a a reward for him personally, it was it was a significant thing, and he highlighted it to the team, and the team backed him on it. Um, and I just thought it was a wonderful it was a wonderful thing that you can you can have an impact on people and really get that satisfaction on. It. I know they're a pair of shoes, but they meant so much. You know, because he he put something back into himself, which I thought was, as leaders, we want to be encouraging those types of little subtleties that uh, make all the difference in the end. 100%, Marty. I'm glad you said impact on people too. Some of the extra things, and actually, Nick, I think I got this template off you years ago, and whether we've built on it or it's the same one. And maybe for listeners out there, if you like what you hear, send us an email or reach out on Instagram or LinkedIn, and we can flick you a copy of the template. Uh, but built into the template is also not just talking about the business, but it's also asking about their personal goals, short-term, medium-term, long-term, um, because you want to have an impact on your people. And having an impact on your people does not just have to be what happens between nine and five or whatever your operating hours are. You should want your people to be feeling the best that they can outside of work as well. 
So by actually talking to them, like I've gone through our notes and I've seen, you know, one of our team members wanted to improve her time swimming in the pool. So that was noted down on the the one-on-one monthly performance review as a personal goal. And then the following month, it's, how are you going in the pool? Have you been getting in Wednesday mornings, 5 a.m., 6 a.m. and doing your swim? Yep, I've been doing it. And it's not, you know, as, a, as an employer, I, I can't give a smack when somebody doesn't get in the pool, but they've talked about it so it creates accountability for their own personal goals, whether it's read a book per month, complete a triathlon, um, eat more vegetables, whatever it is. But the ability to have these nice conversations with your employer, it, it, it has the feels, right, and it impacts your employees' lives. And another one we add in is when's your next holiday? Because a lot of the time people can get stuck in the day-to-day, you know, mundane, you know, grindy grind to actually bridge that conversation. It's good for your business planning too. If you want to get it into your annual holiday calendar so you can see when all your employees are going to be online and offline, asking that question, when's your next holiday? Where are you and the family off to? What time off are you having? Um, that also creates some, you know, great way to have that conversation with your employees in that, you know, monthly or quarterly review. Yeah, it's it's and it's a privilege, Jace, to get to know people on that level too. That's the thing sometimes we forget. We're human beings, you know, running businesses and and like I know that some of my team members, I know that there's a dream house they want to buy. I know some are developing an investment portfolio. I know others that want to send their kids to a certain school. Some people want to have kids and are planning for that. You get to within the structure you get to learn about people and there's a there's a real connection and intimacy in that which is um i think quite brilliant and what connects us as people going beyond even all the numbers and things so i think it's a great question to ask in regards to what your personal goals are i mean nick and i do it personally as well because we i get to know nick even better by his goals and vice versa Mm. and that's that's a privilege yeah that's the people don't have to share that but they want to and i think that's a really important thing you bring up I was going to say, one of, one of the biggest takeaways that I hope we get across here is that career progression and remuneration policy is not about how many dollars you get paid, just that. It's not just about that dollar bit figure that you take home at the end of the week. There is so much more that goes into it from training and development, from personal goals, from connections to people in your workplace. Um, you know, So it's, it's more than just looking at the annual review and going, okay, cool, I better give this person a pay rise to keep them happy. Yeah. You need to look beyond just the pay rise. And, and Jace, like, like Nick said, there's a lot of work that goes into this initially, but it provides so much freedoms and opportunities and great outcomes. So when you invest in that, it's uh, understand that on the back end that it really opens up for you, even though in the interim you're going, there's a bit of work to be done here. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Do the work, get into that position, and you'll find that uh, you'll just take your business to another level. Guys, once again, that has been episode 45 of The Numbers Game, and I'm feeling pretty good, guys. What were your takeaways, Marty? You're smiling. You're up and about. Oh, I'm up and about. Man. I'm just thinking of how comfy this chair is, mate. No, you've battled You've battled through, Jace. You've battled through. But my key takeaways are, you know, understand your structures, understand your people. That's, uh, that's what you get out of it, and you get great outcomes. So that's my takeaway. Nick, um, for me, and you mentioned this, it was it was growing your business, and you know, you want to grow your business, and you want to go forward in your business. That means you've got to bring people along with you. So, just remember, for your business to grow, your people have to grow. If you get the people part right, I've said this before, everything else is really easy. So, remember your people. It's important that they come on the journey with you. And yeah, structures and systems and processes will make that a lot easier. For me, guys, it's more than just a pay rise. Don't think of it as just a pay rise. Look at how you can create connection, create value, and what it does for your culture to have this team that are united, working on the same mission and same vision that you have for the company. That's what you want to create. Fantastic takeaways. Well, again, some great solutions in this podcast. Please get out there and share it to friends, family and associates and connect with us on LinkedIn as well. You know, don't just let Elon Musk have 80 million followers. (laughs) Marty, Jason, Nick, that's 240 million guys. Come on, you guys can help us get there. If you want to connect with us on Instagram, it's the Numbers Game Pod. Uh, Please, yeah, ask a question. We'll always answer it. And until next time game over.